Hi, welcome to Adoption Now, your adoption show. I'm April Fallon. Enjoy this episode. Welcome to Adoption Now, your adoption show. I'm your host, April Fallon. Welcome to season six. We are having so much fun in studio, and it's really been wonderful to connect to so many families. If you're new to Adoption Now, this podcast tells stories from the perspective of the adoptee, birth parent, and adoptive parent. We believe that hearing the voices from all of the triad gives you a full picture of adoption and helps you see clearly the adoption story. And I've learned a lot as an adoptive mom in the past five years of doing the show. And I just want to share something from my heart about what I've learned. And I think that maybe it can help you. One of the most valuable things that I've learned is when starting your adoption process, if you go into it with the desire to understand, you will get so far. Trying to understand people It can give you a great deal of compassion and really compassion can soothe anger. It can trump being judgmental. And if you're struggling to understand the adoption process, I just pray that God would open your eyes. So opening your heart up to that or whatever you're going through, if you're in the middle of the process and you're just having a really hard time with the agency, or maybe you're struggling with the birth parents, or maybe you just feel upside down. You don't even know what's going on. If you just seek for understanding and try to listen first, I always say that to myself, April, just just listen. Listening can change everything. Stop, listen, understand. I want to talk to you about how you can get involved in helping adoption now. Of course, we are a nonprofit, so your donations are what help us be able to record, but We need prayer warriors. We are launching a new Facebook group called Adoption Now Warriors, and we will meet on Wednesday nights from 645 to 745, and we're going to pray for the adoption needs of the group and for the show and for all the things that we're, we're trying to accomplish. So I hope you will join us. All are welcome, and Noah and I will be there. So Wednesdays, 645, look for Adoption Now Warriors, and we'll add you to the group. Okay, so we have a guest I talked to last year. Our pre-interview was so long ago, and I'm super excited to bring Bailey Hughes on the show from South Florida. She's a former foster mother, adoptive mother, and founder of the nonprofit The Hands and Feet. Welcome to the show, Bailey. Hi. I'm so excited to hear your voice again. Yes, I know. It's been too long. I know. We pre-interviewed last, was it November? I think so. Yeah. And I was like, I don't know when we're going to get you on the show, but today is the day. Perfect. I'm excited. How did you hear about Adoption Now? Uh, I just randomly was, I'm in the car all the time. And so I'm always looking for podcasts. And so I usually will just type in foster care or adoption. And so I typed in adoption and it came up and we started listening to it. And my children like actually love hearing the stories too. And they'll get really involved with it and be like, oh my goodness, what happened next? What happened next? So it's become almost like a family activity in the car. Oh my gosh. I love this. Do you know how excited they're going to be when they hear you on the show? I know. They get to listen <laughs> yeah, to you. This is exciting. Know, super exciting. Yeah. <laughs> and I love hearing that your children listen. That is so cool because I would love children to listen to these stories and to get involved and to get excited about adoption and to be a part of the movement, right? That they are a part of the story. Yeah, for sure. 
Okay. Let's talk about why you even chose adoption. Yeah. So um, we, my husband and I, um, in 2015, we were actively trying to grow our family and we were struggling with some infertility. And we had a conversation um, towards the f- August, September of that year after being married for about two years of like, we've, we've actively been trying, you know, for about a year to, to get pregnant and it just wasn't happening. And so we looked at our three options of what we knew we could pursue fertility treatments and testing, or we could look into foster care, or we could look into private adoption. And immediately we kind of vetoed all three, but (laughs) realized we needed to choose one if we were wanting to have a family. And so we, the first one that I vetoed was foster care. It just was not, I just didn't feel like that was where we were at. And we kind of decided infertility treatment and testing was kind of where we wanted to go. So I thought that that's what God wanted for us. And I thought we were going to go that direction. And then in about September of 2015, I was at the time a special education teacher in a low-income school here in West Palm Beach. And I just really felt like God laid it on my heart one morning to pursue foster care. And so we, I just didn't really know where it came from. And I was super scared. And I texted my husband and said, Hey, I really feel like God is calling us into a crazy direction of foster care. And I know that's like way out of left field. Um, but I'll tell you more later. And I turned my phone off and went into work for eight hours. Um, (laughs) So I kind of dropped a bombshell and then left. Um, And so throughout that day, when I was teaching, God just kept giving me so many different signs from a student that was in the foster care system in Kansas, who just opened up and told me that his story randomly to just so many different things. And I just felt by that evening that God was like, this is where you need to go. And so that is how our journey started. We became licensed. We went to an orientation the next month um, and we were fully licensed about five months later. So January of 2016. And that is how we started. That's amazing. So when you turned your phone back on, what did your husband say? Uh, He was very much like, okay, what makes you think that? Like, are you okay? He was open to it, but he was not a hundred percent. He needed some more convincing. We had had friends that had adopted um, their foster children and had been fostering for a while. And so we had seen it firsthand, but we just didn't, I was like, I don't know the the typical statement. I don't know if I could ever give them back. Um, And so I, I was like, you know, I just feel like God is really pressing this on my heart. And so it took a little bit of convincing to get him to go to the orientation. But once we got to orientation, he was like, okay, I mean, we can do this. And so we started classes. um, And in the end, I was the one I say that he, I drug him to everything. And then by the end, he was dragging me along. So it started as my passion. And then, you know, he quickly had a strong passion and desire to and our hearts are still very much there five years later. So, okay, let's talk about your first placement. Yeah. So, our first placement was a unique situation. Those friends that we knew that had fostered and adopted, they had a little boy in their care and they were closing their home after about six years of fostering. And so, they said, he's going to need a new placement. And we really feel like 
you know, maybe this is God giving you an opportunity to ease into parenthood. We had never been parents. We were super young. I think I was like 25 or four at the time, like just very, very young. So, um, I, we, he was eight, 10 months old at the time. And so we slowly transitioned him into our family from probably November, December, and he fully came to live with us in uh, January of 2016. And so we, it was just really, really overwhelming because we had never been parents before. My husband and I worked full time. We were very, we went into foster care, I say, for all the wrong reasons. We went into it because we wanted to grow our family and we wanted to adopt. And then God really showed us, this is not my reason. Like my reason for you being in this space is to love on families and children and to reunify families. And so with this little boy's story, we were not going to have a relationship with his biological family. We did not feel like that was a a safe situation. And God kind of laughed at that. And the former foster mom had like given our phone number to the biological mom and she had called us like the first full day that he was in our home. So it was kind of like jokes on us. We planned and God does whatever he wants, um, which kind of has been the anthem throughout our whole journey in parenthood and fostering and adopting. And so his story was just very, very overwhelming for us. We had just a, a, there was a lot of trauma and we were not trauma informed and we were just navigating so many new things. And he had a brother that was born during that duration. He was in our home and we couldn't take his brother into our home. So he went to another home and there was just so many moving pieces and parts. And we just, I wanted to quit. I wanted to quit immediately. I wanted to say that I was done. And my husband was like, you made me do months of classes and paperwork. I am not quitting. Like we are following this through. You are like, no, no, we're not quitting. We're at least seeing this one through and then we can have a conversation. So it, it was definitely a journey. We got a little bit more comfortable a few months later and opened our home to another little girl. So we went from having no children to one child to two children and they were both babies. So we had a one-year-old and a five-month-old and it was just chaos. We lived in a tiny apartment on the third story and it was, I don't know how we survived. It was, it was a little bit rough, but through having both of those kids and seeing their stories, we just, our eyes really opened to the need and the foster system within here in South Florida. Oh my gosh. I just love that. I could just cry for a long time Yeah, (laughs) hearing just that process because I understand that breaking where you have a plan. You're like, I'm going to do this and this is my plan. And then all of a sudden there's this breaking where God breaks your heart for children and for families and you see the need and you realize how important what you're doing is, even though it's heartbreaking and you want to quit. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was really hard to, and his story was especially difficult because we, he was in our home and we had this other little girl too. Her name was Layla and, um, she, we just fell in love with her and she, it looked like she was going to go to relatives. And so we were just heartbroken after five months when she was placed in a relative's home out of state. But we were able to, towards the end of her time in our home, get to know those relatives. Those It was her aunt and her uncle. And we got to meet them and they came down and they 
they came to Florida to pick her up. And we really realized like we, yes, we cared for her for five months in our home, but also we played such a vital role Mm. in her development and we could, we got to be a part of someone's story. And so I think that gave us the drive to keep moving forward. And in that time frame too, um, the little boy that we had in our home, his mom was like actively working towards reunification and she had actually reunified with her younger son. And so we had actually built a, a really good relationship with birth mom. And we were very like, just, we had, we were co-parenting at that point. And this would have been kind of towards the fall of 2016. And so we, we're just trucking along in terms of being able to reunify him fully with his mother as well. And so we just really learned what that was like to walk alongside a birth parent who was struggling with her recovery and had grown up in the foster care system herself Mm. and how we could support that. And so, you know, we never planned on having a relationship with her and it just kind of happened and it was beautiful and it was wonderful. And we were like, okay, God, this is what you want. And then everything came crashing down. <laughs> and we were like, God, what are you doing? So what happened was um, in that situation, the, our little boy was supposed to reunify with mom right before Christmas. And we, you know, success story, we're there, everything is going well. He had been in our home for almost a year at that point. And then he was on his weekend visit and we got a phone call from an investigator saying, I need you to come pick up both boys, which we had never had his brother at our care. Um, mom is, mom is actively using again and we need, we are sheltering both children. And so it was just like, oh my goodness, what happened? Our lives got turned upside down because we were expecting to have a successful reunification. And now we have two children in our care and we were never asked, could you take the other one? We were told, come pick them up. And so as a foster family, it was really difficult because you typically don't, you're not a part of a removal. You usually get the child after that part has taken place. And so to drive and to see how there's, there's two sheriff's officers and there's an investigator and you're witnessing children being removed from their parents Mm -hmm. and you're seeing that story and you're walking alongside with a a person that you've loved and supported. And so that moment right there, I think just really shook us to our core. And eventually um, the story has a happy ending because those, um, those two boys and then mom found out she was pregnant after that again. And they all three ended up in a pre-adoptive home. Um, We just did not feel that we could meet their needs long-term. And so they ended up moving to a pre-adoptive home and they, it was beautiful. Um, and now to this day, mom has another child that she was able, she's able to parent and she's, you know, she's in recovery still and doing really well. But that whole, that whole first year was very much like, God, we have these plans and you're just constantly, like we make these plans for ourselves and we think we know what's going to happen. And then all of a sudden you just like rock our world and make us question everything. So it was pretty rough that first year and a lot of learning um, that I was not anticipating. And then your own trauma, right? Then yeah, you're like, whoa, yeah. what just happened? I mean, you're not even parents yet. 
but you were for a full year, but now you're not yeah. at this point so, in your story. Yeah. So we had, we had one child and two children, then one child and two children, then no children. So it's just like, you just are, and it's always different combinations too. And so I think that it was just really hard to like, what's the dynamic like in our home now? And how are we grieving the loss of one child, but also parenting another child or, and grieving the loss of the mother. And, you know, it's just, it was really all of these boundaries that we had to set into place. Another, we had to really understand, you know, what does addiction look like? What does, what does mental health look like for a, for a parent who was never, you know, raised in the foster care system herself. And so it was just, it was just a lot for, for mm-hmm. us to kind of just be thrown into it. It almost felt like you threw us into the deep end and said, learn how to swim. Hopefully you don't sink. Um, and it was just, it was a lot. So did you continue on in the foster care system? So we took a break. Um, we said, we just need a couple months off. Like we just need to recuperate from, from everything that had happened and process it. Um, so the two boys we had, they left in March of 2017 and we were like, just give us a month off and then we'll reassess. So the way that it worked within our agency at the time is that any time that there would be children that would come into the system that would need a placement of a home, they would send an email out. So you would get this profile of the child with their picture and the reason why they were coming into care and anything that they knew about them. And you would get these emails. And so back in 2017, there was a high spike in removals in in Florida in general, the pendulum had kind of swung one direction. So there was always kids needing homes. So we would get at least one to two emails every single day saying, could you take this child? Could you take this child? But they were just generic. Any foster family that was licensed would get them. So it wasn't just us receiving them. It was everybody. So we had taken about a month off and we got this email and it said placement is needed for a sibling set of three, a six-year-old boy, a four-year-old girl, and a two-year-old girl. And I had delete because we were not taking a sibling set. We were not taking three children and we were not taking older children. So I didn't even read it. I just immediately deleted it and said, forget, forget about it. Then the next day we get another email and it's the same one. And it says, we are desperate for a home. These children are sitting in a shelter. We are willing to separate the sisters from their brother, if you are at all interested, please reach out to your worker. So I just, I was sitting at work with like a bunch of fifth graders working on like a math project. And I was, I was just like, God, why are you telling me to consider these children? Like, this is bizarre. Like, this is not what I want to do. And I just felt this tug at my heart. And so I texted my husband. I said, Hey, I really think we should like inquire about these kids. And he was like, I mean, okay, but we're not taking them. And I was like, okay. And so I sent it to our worker and said, listen, could you give me any more information about them? Like, are you sure they're going to need to separate them? Are you sure there's no homes that can take all three? And she said, no, listen, they're sitting in a shelter. They spent the night at the shelter last night. So that was in the morning at about 10 o'clock and by 7 p.m. they were on my doorstep. <laughs> so I, we obviously said yes. And two little girls walked through my door. They were two and four. And it was probably one of the most defining moments in our foster care journey because they brought their little brother, with, their older brother with them 
to drop the girls off. And it was just so tragic because the girls watched their brother walk out the door and go to another foster home. And um, the oldest like ran to the door and tried to like go and get her brother. And when she was crying and I had to hold the door shut and it was just so much trauma. And I'm like, what did I just agree to? Like, this was not our plan. And I think for a full like 24 hours, I just felt like I was going to throw up because I just, it was so different than like a baby that we had taken in. They could speak, they could talk. um, And it was just like, oh my goodness, what did we agree to? I have to ask, because everybody's thinking, why didn't you just take the boy? Yeah. So we felt, we just felt that first of all, we had come out of a really tough story with our last placement. And we were still healing from that on our own and our own trauma. And we were not open to sibling sets at all. We were open to one child. And so though we did have the space, we did not feel that we were equipped to handle more than one child. And then when they, when the County said, listen, we have we have the ability to keep the sisters together and place the brother in another home. Then we were like, okay, well, we feel more equipped to handle younger children and girls too. We felt like we just had a better way of being able to to parent girls. And also on top of it, the six-year-old was in kindergarten. So just like logistically, it it was just much more difficult to take the older child versus the younger children. So it was all very much a part of like, Hey, what works for us? And now that I look at it, it just shows you like the system has so drastically changed now in our County, they will leave siblings together for long periods of time in a shelter until they can find a home for all of them together. Um, because we've even seen, you know, the course of siblings being separated, how it it deeply affects them long-term. And especially a lot of them, if they're in homes mm-hmm. for long periods of time, they end up adopted separately too. Right. I do want to say that understanding is so important. Even when you were talking about the children that you had before that became adoptable, but they went to the pre-adoptive family. And there are probably some people thinking, well, why didn't you just adopt them? And mm-hmm. oftentimes when you're the family that pulls children out of trauma, you are not the family that is necessarily called to adopt them because sometimes the children blame you. And it's actually the next family where they heal. That doesn't happen always, right? That's why it's understanding this particular story. But then I had an attorney in Florida call me. We're very close. I love her. And she said, I have a situation where I've got twins and an older brother, almost similar to what you're in. And she said, I can't get a family to take all three of them because they have what's called trauma bond. And they're bonded to each other, but they will not attach to any other family member. And the psychologist feels that if they're separated from their brother, they might get the opportunity to heal. And in our minds, we think, no, 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 that's don't do that. But she said, what do you think about this? And I said, I think, first of all, you have to pray about it. But I think if they've been from home to home to home to home and they can't get stable adoption papers, I mean, the the finalization can't happen. You've got to try something different. Immediately Uh when she separated them, a family got twins and the older brother went to another family. They stay in contact. 
but they began to heal. That's where their healing started. I just want to say every story is so different, right? So you decide to take these two girls, the boy goes with another family and it looks like this is not right, but it ends Mm -hmm. up being exactly what needed to happen. Right. And we didn't know that. We just knew what our capabilities were when we received a profile of what we could, what we could adequately handle in our home. And we knew that we couldn't handle three children. That was very scary to us. Taking two children was very scary. And so now that, you know, that was years ago and we see the, the, what has happened since then. And we know that that was, that was what was supposed to happen, but it was just hard too to watch, to watch a four-year-old try to run out the door Mm -hmm. to go get her brother and you're having to hold it shut, you know? And it's just, you, it's just something that you don't, know it until you've been there and you've experienced it. Just like I never knew what it was like to watch two little boys be taken from their mother's arms in front of police officers. But I watched that too. And so I think what's also important to recognize is that as foster and adoptive parents, you are absorbing trauma yourself and you are having to learn to navigate that. And you're supposed to be the strong one for them. And it's, you don't, you don't know how to navigate it a lot of times, but then you're also having reciprocal effects too on yourself. And so I love that you said that, you know, there, there are situations and we always just immediately think, oh, well, why aren't they together? But there are situations where it's just, it doesn't happen for whatever reason. And, and I had a, a really close friend say to me, it is not my job to keep a family together. That is, that is not on my shoulders. It is on my shoulders to decide what I can adequately make sure to, to love on that fan, on those children and give them the supports and the needs and meet their needs. And so when I took that weight off my shoulders, I felt like, okay, so this is what I can handle. And this is how I can best support the children in my home. And it kind of just gave me a, a breath of, of sigh of relief almost just hearing that. And these daughters ended up staying with you. They did. Their story is very long. They became my daughters, like you just said. Um, And they were in the system for three years. There was a lot of just, I want to say nothing happened in three years. You know, their story is for them to tell. Um, But what I can share is that there, we, this is the part I did want to share because it just continues to show you like we make our plans and God does something different is after our relationship with the birth mother for the boys that we had, we were very cautious about having a relationship with any former birth parents because we just had, we just had struggled through the last one. You know, we were, she was in our home and all these things. And then now we're dealing with like a relapse and we just didn't know how to navigate it. So we, we, very directly said, listen, we are not open to any family relationship. We need to protect ourselves right now. And God laughed at that because a month after we had placement of them, their plate. So in our County, we have a very large County. And so there is an area that's about a full hour West of every area that we're in right now. And so you, it's very, it's sugarcane fields. It's very rural. 
Um, poverty is very high out there. Crime is very high out there. Um, but it, it takes a full hour to get into the city per se. So I, we live in the city. We don't live out there, but that's where our girls were from is far out West. And so we were sitting at a Chick-fil-A. It was just me and the two girls and we were inside eating. It had been a month after placement. We had had no contact with birth family at all. And I'm sitting there, we're eating. And all of a sudden I hear the girls say, mommy. And I'm like, that's weird. Cause I'm sitting right here. And I turn around and I see this woman and I see my oldest gets up and runs to this woman. And I'm very like the, the littlest goes, mommy, it's my mommy. And people in Chick-fil-A are staring at me like what on earth? And my girls are African-American and I'm Caucasian. And so it just looks very bizarre. Oh my like it's just very bizarre. And so I'm pretty sure I totally freaked out the family sitting next to us. And I'm panicking because all I had known that there was like, like in my head, I'm like, Oh, safety, safety. What's should, what's safe? What's not safe? Like, is that I couldn't think straight. And mm-hmm. so I turn around and it's like, first of all, how are you here? Because it's an hour away from where you live. And second of all, like we were not going to go inside. We were going to go through the drive-thru and they begged to go through the drive-thru. Like it was clearly God, right? Like he ordained the whole thing. And so I said, hi, I introduced myself and I said, I'm the foster mom. And she goes, it's, it's nice to meet you. She goes, actually, we just stopped here because we were driving back we were driving back home and I just had to go to the bathroom and I'm like, what the wow. hell? Like, like, we're not even eating. <laughs> and I was like, oh my gosh. And so I got to know her. And then of course, in my mind, I'm like, never giving my phone number out again. Like I already had to change my number once. And I panicked and gave her my real phone number. Like, <laughs> just, like didn't know like everything like that I had planned right in my head, like that we're going to do X, Y, and Z. It was just like, forget about it. So it, we actually formed a beautiful relationship with that, with her, their mother. And we just really got to like walk alongside her. And unfortunately, in the end, um, rights ended up being terminated. But we have a beautiful open relationship and open adoption where we still are able to see their half siblings. We have a relationship with their brother that was eventually adopted into the home that he was placed in originally. And their adoption actually occurred on March 13th, 2020, which was the last day the world was any semi-normal. And as we were standing in the courthouse, we were being told, hey, guess what? Schools are closed on Monday, COVID shut down everything. So it was just like this whole full circle of, you know, our lives totally changed because they came into, we had to learn so much with older children and trauma and how do we navigate these, these relationships and, you know, just a lot of things that we had never had to navigate before incarcerations and things and like hair. that. And hair. And hair. You have two. And hair. Yes, hair. Yeah. <laughs> I, they came and I remember I did, my oldest is Aria. I did her hair and she was four at the time and she said, this is ugly. And I don't blame her. It really was ugly. It was super ugly, but like I had to learn. There's just so many things I had to learn and it was just, you know, but my heart really softened because I got to see, you know, eventually actually like about a year ago, um, 
we were out west where they lived and um we were we the girls were actually getting their hair done and they they asked their mom their mom was there and they said are can you take us back to where we used to live which is probably some of the roughest area in that whole town and so we were able to like they really wanted to see where they lived and so their mom drove them by and they're they pretty much should be like condemned like that's how bad they are and so it was just like eye opening to see like okay, this is where they were at. This is where they lived. But like, also this is like the beauty that's come from us because come from it because we are not their saviors. Our house, just because our house is nicer than those apartments, it doesn't, it doesn't make us better. Like it just makes it different, but we've been able to form this relationship with their mom and they have two families and they know Mm. they're adopted. They know that they have this. And that's what has been so beautiful from it is that they just have more family than they had in the beginning. Um, and it's just, we're, I'm very, very thankful for the relationship that she's been open with me about and that, you know, I've been able to be open with her about, and she still comes to their birthday parties. We still FaceTime her, they text her and it's just, it's never what I had planned. I had planned to adopt a few children, close my home and live my life. And God was like, that's funny because here's what I have for you instead. (laughs) I love adoption. I just feel like I love that story so much because the way that God reveals himself in the process of adoption is so amazing. And the thought that you could go through everything you did and have a softer heart, that's God. Mm -hmm. That's when you know that he has done his work in your life because if you were just to hear the story, you would think you, you're probably bitter or upset or, you know, yeah. a lot of unfair things happen or you saw things that were challenging. And yet you come out and you have this soft heart and you're able to love the birth mom. And it ended up to be a great story. I am looking at your family picture right now. And I, I love this picture. I want to jump in there. Everybody looks like they're having so much fun. But you have more <laughs> than two girls. I do. I do have more than two girls. Um, during this, the girls actually were not our first adoption. So they were the first ones in our, of our placements that we like, they were placement, I guess, number five and four and five, um, of children that we had, but actually our 10th child we adopted first. Um, so while we had the girls in our home, we were still actively taking placements. So we would, we had sometimes three children. We had up to six children at one point. Um, and so we, we would, you know, it was very traditional foster care, care for them until they could go to a family member or back home to family or whatever. So in 2018, so the girls had been with us for about a full year and they, um, I was still teaching at the time. And so I really was, I I couldn't, we couldn't take a newborn into our home because I, they required daycare at six weeks old. So I was towards the end of the school year. We had had a beautiful reunification with another baby that we had in our home that was just amazing. And we were like, we really just want to be open for newborns because there's only two weeks left of the school year. And during the summer I can stay home. So we told our licensing agency, <clears throat> they called us for one baby that we just were like, ah, I don't think it was a child that had a bunch of medical needs. And I was like, I just don't think that we are able to handle that. We're going to pass on this one. And then we got called 
um, for a second baby. And they said, Hey, we have a nine day old baby boy in the NICU. He's being discharged today. Are you able to take him? And so I was actually at the child welfare building when they called. Um, and I remember saying like, I don't know. I just, I, I just was like, I don't know. Like, can I, can, are you sure we can do newborns? Like we would need childcare for two weeks while I finish up work. And I sent the profile to my mom and the picture on the profile is like this itty bitty thumbnail picture, right? Like you can't see anything. I sent it to my mom and she goes, I feel like I just saw my grandson. I started and she started crying and I was like, okay, you're way too emotional. Like I'm not talking to you about anything. I mean, you, you can't even see anything. Like all you can see is like a pixelated, I don't know. And I was like, you're ridiculous. So I was like, okay, I guess we'll just say yes. And so from the time that I got the phone call until the time that I had this little baby in the car seat in the back of the car was 45 minutes. And so, which is crazy because usually you have at least an hour. So I drove to the hospital. They wheeled out this tiny five pound baby boy and they said, here you go. <laughs> and I said, "Are you? that's it. There's nothing else. Like you're trusting me to take care of this teeny preemie baby. And they, I didn't even have the car seat adjusted. The straps were meant for like a one-year-old, not for a newborn preemie. Pretty sure he was completely horizontal by the time we got home. Like I just was not prepared. Like I literally left work and then randomly picked up a baby and went home. Like that was, it was so bizarre. So the girls get home from school and they're like, what is this? I'm like, oh yeah, this is your new foster brother. Um, and so it was just like, it was crazy. We were able to adopt him in December of 2018. Um, and we thought we were done after three children, but then, uh, I was finished. We took more placements. Um, and I thought three kids was our max, but my husband really felt like we were not finished. And so fast forward to, um, Jude was our first adoption in 2018 when he was eight months old. And then the girls were our second adoption. They were five and seven at the time. And that would have been in 2020. And then in August of 2020, we took in another new, I'm sorry, in November, he was born in August of 2020. We took in a, another preemie baby boy and we adopted him in May of 2021. So he was about eight-ish months old too. So yeah, that completed our family and we finally closed our foster license. Our total count was 23 children that we had had in our home over five years for wow. those adopted. And yeah, then I started a nonprofit because <laughs> oh I wasn't busy enough. So. I want to talk about your nonprofit, but I want to ask you, how were the girls with these new babies? They loved them. They now our kids ages are Aria's nine, Asia seven, Judas three, and Jonah is one. And so our girls just adore the boys. Jude is three, so he's not super easy, but Aria just like is a great big sister to them. And Asia just adores Jonah. And they just, they really, really loved the babies and they came from, from the hospital to us. So it was just like how it would be in any traditional family when mom has a baby and the baby comes home. And Aww. so for them, it was just, it was, it was really good. Hey, I just want to say hi to Aria and hi to Asia and let them know <laughs> I showed my little girls their picture and Aww. my little girl said, that's us. 
<laughs> I said, that's not, look closer. That's not you. And then they look closer and they wanted to know your story and that there were two sisters just like them that came to a family and your hair is like their hair. It was so cute. So you and your family have helped my kids. Oh, that's so sweet. I know. It was really sweet. Okay. So tell me about your nonprofit. Yeah. So we launched, um, we closed our home in May of 2021. So last year, and then uh, July, I launched a nonprofit accidentally. When what we do is anytime that you get a foster placement in your home, you typically, they come with nothing. And so we say that we are DoorDash for foster care. So what we do is we have, we pull all those items, the basic necessity items that you need, clothes, diapers, wipes, baby gear, all that stuff. And we deliver it to the family's home within 48 hours. So we started in one county, we've branched into three full areas, which is a total of six counties. Um, We've served over 400 children and God is just really, really opening up our eyes and expanding in ways that we never really knew were possible. So that is now my full-time unpaid job yeah, <laughs> that I do. I understand that. <laughs> yeah. um, while also raising for special needs children. Yes. I, I feel you. I get it. And may God bless you for that work. How can people find your nonprofit? Yeah. So we're on Facebook. Um, it's hands and feet and then delivering help and hope. And then on Instagram, it's the hands and feet FL. And then also our website, um, www.handsandfeetfl.com. We're very active in social media. We share stories in our community of the children. We never share pictures or names, so their identities are kept sacred. But that is how we are able to get the community support is by telling what's happening in their own backyard. So definitely check us out there. Thank you so much for joining the show today, Bailey. No problem. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate you having me on. And thank you for listening. If you have an adoption story you'd like to share, please email us at afallon at adoptionnowpodcast.com. We would love to hear from our birth parents. If you have a story you want to share, again, the email is afallon at adoptionnowpodcast.com. Thank you for joining our show. See you next episode. Mm -hmm.